Hey, it's Zach. The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear. Celebrating March deal days with month-long service and savings, visit GoodyearAutoService.com for offers. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast called Daily Wager, which has all the information you need on tonight's games. Listen every weekday afternoon. That's every afternoon for the latest info on the biggest games and plays. That's Daily Wager. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast on a Monday afternoon in the Northeast. And we are 10 days away from the trade deadline about... There's much to talk about in the league, and and one of our best writers just framed all of this in a very interesting way, and I wanted to bring him on to talk about that. The one and only guru of maps, former San Antonio Spurs executive, Mr. Kirk Goldsberry. How are you? I am great, Zach, and it's good to see your face. We're almost through this thing now, and by the thing, I mean, of course, the trade deadline period. Yes, we're getting we're there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So you you wrote a great piece today um, that touches on stuff I've written about before, but it's very interesting. And the the piece you wrote is basically um, because of there's been so much player movement at the top of the league, superstars changing teams more than ever before by trade, by free agency, by trades that are the choice of the team, not always dictated by the player. Um, there's been a lot of movement, we know that, but you highlighted a, a result of that movement that has been perhaps a little bit underplayed. Can you explain to people what that is? Yeah, thanks. And and we've all written a piece like this, I think, if you cover the NBA in the last three or four years. So this is just my swing at it. You did a great piece in 2018. I encourage the listeners. I think it was 2018, maybe 19. I don't even know anymore. But anyway, my angle, Zach, is the plight of the small market, uh, the small market NBA team. I give a lot of focus to on this and these elite superstar free agent migrations or trade migrations are sort of revealing to me that there are two NBAs emerging. Uh, One, if you are a destination market like a Los Angeles or a New York uh, and one, if you're not like if you're a Memphis or you're Orlando, Uh, what kind of market you're in, Zach, I think is starting to really determine how you build your team. If you're fortunate enough to be in Brooklyn uh, or New York or or Los Angeles, you have access to this elite level transaction. And if you're not, you don't, and you better slow cook your competitor through the draft and team. um, I should say player development becomes your most important team building tool. So, um, what what spurs you to write this now? You know, I think the Harden trade. Honestly, I think it it, it was always kind of there. Obviously, I spent years in San Antonio, uh, seeing the world through the lens of a very successful small market team. Uh, but until you until you got there, <laughs> until I got, <laughs> until I got there, uh, fair enough. But uh, I think I was once Harden. And freaking Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving got on the same team. Uh, I, I think I was sort of just like, you know, this is kind of happening. But for me personally, James Harden reuniting with Kevin Durant in their absolute primes um, after separating and both winning MVPs, um, both winning scoring titles. Come on, man. This, that That's what spurred me on, I think. So Brooklyn and the Clippers are interesting examples of this that sort of rose in parallel, right? And so they struck these landmark transactions. Uh, one, and, and in the same summer, they started in the same summer, Brooklyn getting Durant and Irving via free agency slash sign and trade, whatever you want to call how they got Durant. Um, and the Clippers making the just mega deal for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. One, a free agent won a trade that was sort of connected to Kawhi's free agency. It's almost like they traded for two players at once. Oklahoma City now has 49 draft picks, I think. <laughs> I'm just making that up, but just a lot of draft picks. Uh, and they own they own Miami. They own the Clippers. They own the Rockets to some extent. They just own. They just own everyone's draft picks. Um, and, and then, of course, Brooklyn... And they were, and that put Brooklyn and the Clippers again together in a fascinating spot, which is: Do we want a big two, or do we want to really throw all the chips we've got left to get a third star? And Brooklyn had a lot of chips left, as we saw, because they mm-hmm. threw them all to get James Harden, and so they got James Harden. They answered that question by saying, "We like our depth. Our depth is nice. Blah blah blah. We think we can rebuild some of that depth." via buyouts, as we've already seen, and other things, and we can keep enough of it around, and that these three guys are so good that we don't need all that quality. Boom, James Harden comes to Brooklyn. So 
Um, a, a person wanting to argue against the notion that players are flocking to the glamour markets, okay? Let me just parrot that person to you and you can respond. Brooklyn and the Clippers, well, no one was going there to either of those teams until both of them at the same time laid a foundation of competency. And that's the Brooklyn, Kenny Atkinson, D'Angelo Russell, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, blah, 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 Dinwiddie, etc. Frisky team gets in the playoffs, gets spanked, but got in the playoffs. Clippers is the Lou Williams, Pat Beverly, Montrez Harrell, Danilo Gallinari, etc. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, etc. Gets in the playoffs, gives the Warriors, the Warriors, a spirited six-game first-round series. Not until you lay that groundwork are any superstars going to those places. So... It's not about the coast or the locations or anything like that. It's about um, it's about the quality of the franchise. Tripling down on that, Mr. Goldsberry, this person would say, who have the Knicks gotten? The Knicks are in the biggest market in the country. One of the glitziest markets in the world. They've been poo-poo since Carmelo Anthony was there. Nobody will take their money. Nobody wants to go there. Please defend yourself against this person. Um. Great point. I want to say two things. It's the not first, that great of a point. It's my point in making the point. The meta point is I don't point. think it's that great of a point. Terrible point. Uh, <laughs> so here's what I'd say. And I, one of the bright young executives in one of these really well-run small market teams, not San Antonio, gave me this line, and I'm going to use it to counter this straw man argument. Being in a glamour market like New York or Los Angeles is necessary but not sufficient to becoming a super team destination. Boy, that's you know, that's a quotable. Put that on the back of a cocktail napkin. <laughs> it, what, be, what nerd told you this? Hey, it's uh, I can't reveal my sources, as you know, in the business here. But um, I think it's a great point because I think it tells you, you know, the Clippers were in L.A., as you point out, and couldn't get this done. Steve Ballmer buys the team. They have a very big cultural makeover uh, and to that organization's credit, they put themselves in a position the same with my good friend Sean Marks in Brooklyn, who I used to work with in San Antonio. When he left San Antonio, he left one market where you really can't build a team through big time uh, glamour free agency, let's be honest. And he moved to one where you can't. That said, the Nets were not in great shape when he was hired there. He took a risk with his career and he deserves immense amount of credit for putting them in this position. Uh, to get that Karis Levert player to get into the Harden position. As you said, they were really well-run teams. They happened to be in glamour organizations. The question I would ask about Sean, and I do in the piece, is like, could he have done this exact same thing in Charlotte or Minneapolis? Uh, and I don't think he could have. I think the market does a lot of the work in, in, this, in this story. Uh, I think if you're in Los Angeles, it's kind of easier to build a championship team in Los Angeles than it is in Memphis or Orlando. Um, that's sort of what my response in a nutshell would be. Yeah, that, and this is what I've written before. The photo negative of this never happens. Two <laughs> players right. do not conspire to go to Milwaukee. <laughs> Two of the top 10 players in the league don't get together and say, we're going to Milwaukee, we're going to Indiana, we're going to Oklahoma City, we're going to Memphis. It does not happen. If you are in one of those markets, you do not have access to that kind of mega transaction. So yes, Brooklyn and LA deserve a ton of credit for building platforms that players will look at and say, that's a franchise that knows what it's doing. I want to go there. It doesn't matter if the Grizzlies do that. The Grizzlies need to draft John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. And kudos to them. They did. They now have something going. And that to me is the ultimate proof that, yes, this is an unavoidable thing. The photo negative does not happen. It only happens in the biggest markets or the best markets and or when or when sort of um, – you have the Golden State's a really interesting example, right? Because they're another market that was never thought of in these terms before. Then they have an incredible series of draft picks. They build a dynastic team. And only then does the power of their market plus the power of their roster combine to get you Kevin Durant and ruin the NBA. Now I'm just being facetious, <laughs> but you know, for two years, sort of take the championship out of circulation. Yeah, I think you, you've said it very well. You've written about this well. I, I think these migratory paths of the best of the best are sort of one-way streets. Uh, I think that's how I would describe it. You can start in Memphis and go to Los Angeles, <laughs> but it's very rare for somebody like, let's say, Kobe Bryant or Steph Curry, who gets drafted and you know develops into an all-time player, uh, to go to one of these small markets. It's you could almost see Steph doing it going home to Charlotte at the end of his career or something. But 
the idea that the photo negative never happens is one of the main pieces here. And that's why I argue like what happens to Oklahoma City or Indiana when they lose a Paul George uh, or what happens to San Antonio when they lose a Kawhi Leonard or New Orleans when they lose an Anthony Davis. The stakes are so high. They have to go back to the seed phase of the agriculture and start growing their food again and hope that in five years the Zion Williamson is ready to be a championship. We're, we're, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about Zion. You know what I'm saying? But that's why the stakes are so high. The, the other the other side of the coin is that these guys who don't grow their own food uh, just go to the drive through and, and just pick up whatever they want in the offseason or every other offseason when they're players in major free agency. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100, 100 times, times your money. money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just download the app today and use code LOW for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LOW on the Prize Picks app for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. As you say in your story over and over again, and I've said over and over again, players asking for trades is not the NBA's balance of power being tilted out of whack. Oh, the players are running amok. No, no, no. Teams can trade players whenever they want. And in fact, some of these, some teams have gotten off superstar players, not because those players demanded out, but because those teams decided these players are not worth the contracts that they are going to demand and get in the open market. Jimmy Butler in Chicago, I think, is the preeminent example of the last half decade, a fork in the road moment for the Bulls that they decided we don't want Jimmy Butler on our team. They're not a coastal market. And they got out of the business of Jimmy Butler voluntarily. And they're still wandering in the wilderness today. Um, uh, and so I, I do think for superstar players who have no control over where they play for the first minimum seven years of their career, to me, this is just tilting the balance of power to an equilibrium with teams and owners. That said, this is a 30-team enterprise in, what, 28 cities? Okay, the enterprise ceases to exist if half of those cities cannot compete for championships. Now, I don't think that's the case. And the NBA would correctly point out the team you just worked for has won five championships. <laughs> the Thunder had three superstar players and a hell of a chance to win championships. Other small market teams before have won championships or competed for championships. Milwaukee is in the hunt now. Um, and, of course, they would also parrot the argument that I parroted before. Uh, so, But I, I do think... This bifurcation that you're talking about is somewhat real and has consequences beyond just can you win the championship or not. And I'm going to read you one line for your story that I think is the most important line in your story, and I want you to explain it. Here's the line. Draft picks have never been more meaningful in origin markets and never meant less in the destination markets. As a result, the precious few teams that can reliably retain top talent are emptying their cupboards to extract unhappy superstars and mega trades. In other words, if I'm Brooklyn, I don't care about draft picks. If I'm Oklahoma City, I need all the draft picks because I've realized that's the only way I can build a championship team. What that line to me encapsulates everything that's in your piece. Can you explain a little bit more about what you're getting at there? Yeah, that's really what set me off. And and one of my friends who's an executive in the league really sums it up for me. He's like, there's three classic team building tools in the NBA, the draft, free agency, and trades. And it's really starting to feel like, depending on the nature of your market, you really only have access to one, two, or three of those legs. You know, the Clippers and the Lakers, they can get free agents and mega trades almost anytime they want. 
uh, but the Spurs, the Magic, uh, you know, the, the Hornets, the draft is really their lifeblood. Uh, and draft picks are their seeds. Uh, and it seems like that is always been true to some degree, but the draft really is increasingly important in those small markets that have to grow their own food and decreasingly important in the era of, of free agency. And one of the stats I got when I researched this piece really hit this home for me. Between 1969 and 2010, only seven of 41 finals MVPs, Zach, won the award after changing teams. Uh, then LeBron James in 2010 uh, took his talents to South Beach. I'm not mad at him. Great decision for him in his career. It set the tone for a new era of superstar free agency. Suddenly, since then, eight of the past 10 finals MVPs have won the award after changing teams. That is, to me, one of the league's most important awards, the most symbolic award. Uh, and it used to be exceedingly rare for that to go to somebody who had changed teams. Uh, now championships are won and lost in July uh, when players like LeBron and Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard decide where they want to spend uh, their primes. Uh, and I think that's interesting. But in a world where they're deciding to spend it in big cities, those four markets, uh, that means something really different for the markets that aren't in that list. And that's why I think the draft becomes extremely important there. Um, and I think that, I think that quote does sum it up. So the draft pick thing has tons of implications that I think are really interesting. Number one, so you have all these teams that are simultaneously coming to this realization and have a, like three teams own half the picks in the NBA universe right. right now. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but between New Orleans, Oklahoma City, et cetera, Houston is now starting to pile up picks and will start to pile up even more picks. Uh, the, and you just wonder, is there a zero-sum game there? Like, can four teams building that way at the same time all win? Or will one of them inevitably sort of lose out because there's only so many successful picks to go around? I'm not sure. They have so many picks, maybe, maybe it doesn't matter. The flip side of that is that the teams that are acquiring the superstars, they have, it's, their windows are very, very short. Because when you're all in for dudes who are 30 to 32 years old, you've got to win within three years. And then, and then the aging is against you and you don't have picks uh, or the picks you have are bad because you're too good to, what in the years that you have picks, if you even control them, if you haven't swapped them out, um, you, you, you pick low in the draft and there's no way to replenish your team. So you either continue to make these sort of like, you know, not desperate, but win now cash grabs, or you have to reset it without, without a lot of ways to reset it. And your window for that particular team to get to know each other, to develop chemistry, to win is very, very short. And so there's on both sides of this are interesting implications and hovering over all of that and I wonder if this is why so many of these teams are just saying, give me all the picks, as many picks as you can, is that the league changed the lottery odds mm. to make it much harder for you to sort of game the system. Like if you have the worst record in the NBA, you used to have a great shot at getting the number one pick and 0% chance at falling below whatever it was, number four. Now you can have the worst record in the NBA and pick fifth. You've, we've seen teams come in with the second best lottery odds and pick sixth or seventh. Um, that, that has warped the landscape almost completely in ways that I think teams are still kind of reckoning with. Yeah, I think so. I think tanking was a major uh, strategy for a team that was sort of in the, in the in-between zone. And, and I think the new lottery odds have rewired the odds so much that people are still kind of recalibrating what the best move is. It used to be the obvious best move. Now I'm not so sure that it is, but I think, you know what, the, the draft is is now the main vehicle for these small market teams, no matter what, no matter the lottery odds. And player development is emerging in these these small market teams as sort of this the secret second way to improve your team. And, they, and one thing that always separates the great small market teams from the struggling ones is like, hey, did, did that second round pick turn out? Did that 26 pick? turn out and, and you know San Antonio obviously has done a great job with those picks but so is so is Toronto Indiana seems to be doing a good job Oklahoma City does a good job in that department and 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 you see players like Lou Dort um, or Pascal Siakam really come into their own uh, because of uh, of the their own talent obviously but because the market is able to take that draft pick and make those help those people become the best basketball versions of themselves um, and I think that player development apparatus 
is another sign uh, of this of this movement uh, and how important it is in a small market. If you want to be a good small market team, you better have elite player development on your side. And there are a couple of flip sides. Like I mentioned the Jimmy Butler example, and you can go through, you know, I wrote a whole piece on sort of the prison of the max contract. It's the piece that you're, mm -hmm. that you're citing. Um, and how the Bulls voluntarily getting off of Jimmy Butler just set alarm bells off in my yep. head when it happened. And the Clippers, having it be a win for the Clippers to get off Blake Griffin as soon as they did. A franchise player drafted number one, franchise icon. Having it be a 100% certainty that John Wall's contract and Russell Westbrook's contract were going to be bad contracts. Now, the Thunder, God only knows how they did it. They wriggled out of the rust thing with not only minimal pain, but like actual value. Um, it just it just made me uncomfortable. And we're going to see this with other players. Like, you know, um, just as an example, should should the Magic pay Nikola Vucevic the max when he when he comes around or something close to it? You know, people grumbled about the Gobert contract. Like, mm -hmm. is he worth the super max? Oh my God, that's going to be disastrous. I just part of this is on the other side. It's it just makes me uncomfortable that it like becomes bad. It's bad. It becomes bad for teams to retain their own players so much so that some teams have decided we don't want to retain this player that is a massive organizational success story for us. We would rather trade him for a poo-poo platter of young players and picks, even in the prime of his career. And I proposed a bunch of ideas. People can go back and read them about maybe remedies to, to make it not so crippling to your cap sheet or whatever. If you draft a player, retain him, and then retain him again, are there tax benefits? Are there CBA benefits? Are there ways to make it so it's not just teams are like, oh my God, do I really need to pay this price for this guy? That it, 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 there, there are many sides to this. And that's another one that hasn't gotten a, a lot of attention. But you know, when you see big market teams acquiring players or players chasing, ch chasing big markets and going there, you also see teams voluntarily getting off really good players in, in ways that I think just it just puts those players back into the ecosystem to go wherever they want. Yeah, and it, it, it's been hard to watch. Like really great players from a decade uh, become sort of toxic, not because of their play, but because of their contract. Uh, and some of these designated uh, player contracts, the Supermax contracts, have gone to players that just aren't quite good enough to, to really get that number. But in some cases, the incumbent team had no choice but to give them that number, and then they're and then they're 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 set up for failure, or the contract itself becomes an albatross. I think one thing is that club is a little too big potentially for that supermax category. Um, you know, you see some players, and I'm not going to name names, that probably shouldn't be in that category. Uh, and then I would say there is an obvious category of guys, including LeBron and Durant and Steph and, and Lillard, who are obviously. Uh, deserving of that. And one thing that come out when I was doing the research for this piece, Zach, is those dudes are arguably the most underpaid players in pro sports right now. LeBron James is arguably the most underpaid player in, in pro sports right now. If you look at contracts around the world, for instance, Messi's contract uh, in Barcelona, uh, LeBron James getting 35% of the cap, hey, anybody would trade uh, paychecks with LeBron James that I know. But that said, he might deserve more than that. And that, that artificial constraining of his salary uh, might enable teams like the Lakers to pair two or three of these guys on one cap sheet. Uh, if, if LeBron James were to make 50% of the cap, 55% of the cap, and I'm not advocating that per se, but indulge me for a second, Zach. If he were, the Lakers would have a real hard time building a team around him and Anthony Davis. Um, and they might still be able to do it. Uh, but I think that's another point here is there are people in this supermax category that end up with albatross contracts that really just handcuff the team that signed them. Um, and then there are some guys that these are the best bargains in the league. And that's a really interesting situation to me. Like, well, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have a good answer, but that I think the devil's in the details. And one last thing, maybe there's a category above the supermax for the finals MVP guys, for those first team all NBA guys, the perennial guys, a mega max deal where you have to really be a special, special, special guy to get to that big, big number. Uh, and that could change this dynamic a little bit league-wide. Well, I can tell you for sure, speaking of the Supermax and Supermax-worthy guys, 
There are a lot of high fives and well, there are no high fives anymore, but there would have <laughs> been a lot of high fives in the league office when the news broke that Giannis For was sure. re-signing with the Bucks. And the next big test case is going to be Jokic, um, who I can't remember exactly when he becomes eligible. I think this is somehow only his sixth season, so he's a bit a bit to go before he becomes eligible for a Supermax. Now, I don't know Nicola well, uh, but everything I've heard and everything I've talked to, I don't think he gives one flying F-U-C-K about the glitz and glamour of anywhere. And if he's happy in Denver, he's going to be happy in Denver. Um, so, But that will be the next, the next test case. And by the way, I don't know, you know, the player empowerment thing is so interesting because I, I largely am fine with it, as I said before. I, I also think teams are, are living in fear of sort of how far will it go. So one of the scenarios that you hear about is who's going to be the first superstar coming off his rookie deal, the first real superstar who says, you know what, I'm just going to take the qualifying offer. I'm not even right. going to negotiate a contract with you guys. My qualifying, if I'm the number one pick, my qualifying offer for one year and then I become an unrestricted free agent. I'm not even going to deal with restricted free agents. I want it out of here as soon as possible. And some of these, the qualifying offers for the top picks are like $15 million. They used to be like four. Now mm -hmm. it's a huge amount of money. Now it's less than they would make if they signed a new contract right then and there. But if you really want out, the dollars are getting to the point that in the next 10 years, someone is going to at least investigate should I do that? Someone who's, who's, and it's not going to be a case of, well, our negotiations are going badly, so I'm going to play that carrot. It's going to be someone who really wants out. And then, you know, I asked Michelle Roberts when I wrote this piece about player empowerment, would the union ever push to, to get rid of restricted free agency altogether? Now, I'm not, I don't think that's a battle they can win, but here's what she told me. We have always strove to loosen the restrictions in free agency. We will do that again in the next CBA negotiations. Now, I don't, again, I don't think they're going to get that because that might be a blood issue for teams and the trade-off for them would be so, but, but that gets you thinking about, well, what's, how, what's the end game of, of player empowerment? And I think we saw some of it with James Harden in Houston. And the end game is going to be, I am going to raise enough of a stink and, um, my effort level will be dialed back at times to the point of I'm just going to make this a mess for you until mm -hmm. until you trade me. And um, the league is definitely fearful of scenarios where, again, I've, I've given this example before. A player just says, hey, you know what? My back hurts. Like, I, I think I have a back injury. Like, I, I need to sit for a little while. And like, is, is that kosher? Is that not kosher? But the, the, the end, we haven't hit the end game of the, again, there's the team side of this with teams making dumb decisions or the CBA incentivizing teams to make bad decisions with players. There's also this side where I don't think we've seen the end game of either of those. I just don't know where this ends. Um, I, I do think that qualifying offer thing is fascinating. Uh, and without naming names, there are a couple of very young, bright stars in this league that are currently in not very prestigious markets uh, that I could actually see doing that. And man, that would be a shockwave, wouldn't it? Because I don't think anybody has done it. I, I, I think to your point, the association, the players association should do everything for the players to make free agency easier. Uh, I know if I was in the NBA, I'd want to, I'd want to play where I wanted to play and make as much money as I could. Of course, the players association is going to try to loosen free agency rules. That's what they should be doing. Uh, but is it good for the NBA if somebody like LaMelo Ball or Ja Morant or Zion Williamson is like, you know what, deuces, I, I'll take the qualifying money. Uh, I, I just want out of here as fast as possible. I want to go to one of these big, fun markets in these great big cities on either coast of the United States. And the upshot of that, and I don't think any of those players are going to do that, um, but the upshot of that is then you get into the, you know, the Pelicans were really vilified for – well, they tried to speed up the timetable around Anthony Davis too much. There was too much too soon. They sacrificed too many future draft picks to chase short-term wins with Tyreek Evans and Drew Holiday and on and on and on. Ryan Anderson, you know, they didn't give up much for some of those guys. Some they gave up a lot. Eric Gordon. Um, well, if that timetable is hanging over your head, you, yeah, you have to excel. You have to try to win around player X immediately after you draft him. So it does have all kinds of implications. You mentioned Harden. I wonder where you would the apex the the end game of your of this trend that you're pointing out and and how it's become baked into into the landscape of sports the apex of it would be if James Harden in a year where he flouted covid regulations quite publicly and uh played his way out of Houston alienated his teammates 
Um, forced to trade after eight games in Houston where the Rockets were obliterated when he was on the court. Won the MVP. And now, as much as you might want to poo-poo that, uh, Joel Embiid, get well, big fella. Joel Embiid, my slight MVP favorite at the halfway point, got hurt on Friday night. He's going to be out a couple of weeks, it seems like. I've heard two weeks. I've heard three weeks. I've heard 10 games. I've heard seven. Who knows? It's going to be some period of time. And in a shortened season, that's going to be enough Maybe not to eliminate him from the MVP race, actually, but but certainly to throw a monkey wrench into his case. And so um, you can see the scenario. Well, what if the Lakers kind of continue to slump? What if mm-hmm. what if Denver doesn't get above fifth in the West? What if every voter is just uncomfortable with the idea of making Giannis the fourth person ever to win three MVPs in a row despite flaming out in the playoffs last year? And as I wrote last week, the previous three... Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, and Larry Bird, the only MVP three-peaters ever. Michael Jordan never did it. Kareem never did it. Magic never did it. All three of those players, Will, Larry, Russell, won titles or a title, in Wilt's case, midway through that three MVP run. Mm-hmm. So they none of them went into year three having not won a title before. Giannis is obviously in that scenario. So what if all the voters like, you know, I just I feel queasy about that. And they're looking around, looking around, looking around. Oh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn's really good. Harden's unbelievable. KD's out for now a long time. When no one knows when the hell KD is coming back anymore. It keeps getting extended and extended. What do you think of James Harden's MVP case? Because Embiid's injury has cracked yep. the door open just a little bit. I don't know about you, Zach, but I think it's weird that the player that we've all agreed is the best player for the last uh, 15 years hasn't won the MVP in eight years. I heard it said on social media uh, in the last week. I believe it was you who was aggregated all over my social media feed. Uh, so LeBron James is is now listed by uh, ESPN's official book, uh, the William Hill Sports Book, as... Is that uh, our official book? I didn't know that. Yes, we have an official book? Happening. I did not get paid for that, but if anybody wants to send a check my way, just get in touch. Uh, but LeBron James, a big free agent migration, by the way, obviously is the favorite. Um, Jokic is up there, Embiid, but Harden, to your point, creeping up there. And in a world where it looks like the Nets are starting to get, you sounded better, like a, you sounded like a movie preview. In, guy. A world, in a world <laughs> where the Nets are surging, <laughs> in a world um, where in I, a world where centers are tumbling to the floor. <laughs> That would be the action movie I would make, and nobody would watch it. But anyway, James Harden has a legit case if present trends continue. And by that, I mean Joel Embiid on the shelf. Uh, LeBron James and the Lakers continuing to kind of struggle. Jokic not getting the Nuggets to the top of the ladder. Steph Curry and the Warriors really struggling, particularly on offense. There is a James Harden case by default if the Nets are going to win 60, 70, 80% of their games, and especially if Kevin Durant is on the shelf. Yeah, James Harden could be traded and win the MVP in the same year. I don't think that's probably ever never, happened. And, 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 no, it has never happened. Um, it has never happened in season. Now, I will say there have been a bunch of guys who won or got close to winning in their first season with the team after an off-season move. And really, when you think about it, all that distinguishes – James Harden being traded to the Nets after eight games versus Steve Nash, Charles Barkley moving to the Suns via trade and free agency in the offseason is like a month, a couple months, right? Yeah. It's, it seems different, but it's not that different. However, as the PR people say, the optics of that extra month for James Harden were, I think, unseemly. I think that's a fair a fair <laughs> summation of it. And there will be there will be other candidates, by the way. We have to see... Will the mat will Luka Doncic play himself into the race? Can Damian Lillard play the, the Blazers up the standings? Jimmy Butler is getting a little sneaky buzz right the now. Heat, the Heat are but, good, man. The Heat are are, are well, back it turns on my out radar. when you have your play. Well, actually, they don't even have Bam. Um, their their schedule's been a little easy, but th- this was already shaping up to be an the mo- just from a pure entertainment standpoint, the best MVP race in yep. four years and one of the best ever because you do have. Look, I voted in every single one of those MVPs that LeBron didn't win, and I didn't vote for LeBron once, and I don't regret any of those votes because if you go year by year by year, there I I I did. I made the case for other people and I'm fine with it. Like in each individual year, it felt fine. I do, like 
I think Giannis is having an unbelievable year. And and yet, I don't think it's completely unreasonable to feel a little squeamish about, can we, should he get an MVP again after losing 4-1 in the second round of the playoffs? I, I and, and that contrasts beautifully with the, perfectly rather, with the LeBron sort of lifetime achievement sentiment that's going to be out there. I don't know what the hell is going to happen, but every event that occurs seems to be the basketball gods are conspiring to shove James Harden into this conversation. (laughs) By the way, James Harden has been nothing short of majestic as a Brooklyn net. Triple-double here, triple-double there. Incredible passing, incredible scoring. As a player for the Nets, he should absolutely be in the MVP conversation. The problem is he was a player for the Rockets for uh, 12% of the season and... Uh, although a productive one, not a particularly helpful one. I think it's going to be. Could you vote for him? You don't have. Do you have a vote? No, I don't have a vote, and I don't want to vote. But that—that's a story for another time. Listen to this, though. You know, my friends in Houston, down the road from Austin. You know, they had a great night last night at the Grammys, and I'm as happy for for Beyonce and Megan. But uh, here, here's the thing. Uh, well, you're going to have to catch me up on what happened at the Grammys. Oh, Just walk it, walk it, walk it back for Grammys. me. Beyonce. Who won for- Beyonce set the record for most Grammys ever, I think, by a female artist, if not an artist overall. Megan Thee Stallion, I think, had a great night. Uh, but they referenced Houston in the rodeo, and our old friend Chase Serrano had a classic tweet about it. Um, but the bottom line here, Zach, is that James Harden does have a legitimate path to the MVP. I think I'd still take LeBron or Embiid at this point. But like you're saying, the basketball gods seem to be trending towards a way for Harden to get there. And I think one of the sneaky reasons he looks so good all of a sudden is his former team, Houston, is in shambles and they're, they're on this epic losing streak. Uh, and I think that's a it's a dark sort of uh, case for him. But Brooklyn looks very, very good without Kevin Durant, and a lot of that is because of James Harden. Well, and Houston has a big decision to make at the trade deadline with Victor Oladipo, um, who reportedly turned down a two-year extension worth whatever was the most they could offer him after the trade. I do wonder if that's one of those cases where it's like, we're going to offer you this. We know you're not going to take it. We now have gone through all the loops. Both of us have nice, have it look nice publicly. We both have good reason to do this. And I, I, you know, I found it curious at the time that Houston wanted Oladipo and not Karis Levert in the Harden deal. And I don't know that this, does it look worse now? Maybe, but it also could just be an indication of they want total clear cap sheet going forward and they're okay with Oladipo even walking. And if so, they should um, they should attempt to move him now. But that's that's a big name. I'm just not sure if, if, if I'm some of the teams that have been rumored. I, I know the teams that have been linked to him. I wrote this about the Knicks before the season. They were taking a, we got to wait and see with Victor after the injury and the the, the very short season last season. I'm not sure anything they've waited and seen would convince me that I need to go get Victor Oladipo right now for the stretch run. So I'm I'm not sure where Houston is going to find a deal there, but my guess is that they will look. That's one of the more obvious names, right? You know, I think Victor Oladipo is is one of the more uh, intriguing rentals on the market. I think any team that's sort of on the edge, that's struggling with perimeter offense, can look at Victor and say, man, it's worth a short-term rental here. The question is, what kind of price is Houston going to ask? Uh, There's some intel out there, Zach, that I'm sure you've heard that Houston is asking for a lot for some other players. P.J. Tucker comes to mind as well. an interesting thing about Tucker, by the way, he doesn't look as great when James Harden's <laughs> not out there uh, firing him all those threes. But point made, I think there's a really intriguing market for Oladipo, whether it's somebody like Miami or Denver, the Clippers. Uh, somebody's going to talk themselves into, man, this is the exact kind of guy we need to elevate our chances in the stretch run. I'm a little skeptical, but... but um... But we'll see. And and Tucker, I do think Tucker, he's shooting like 31% from three. He looks a little slow-footed even by his standards. I do think that if he landed on a contender, we would see a reinvigorated P.J. Tucker um, who makes oh, maybe – I don't know how many more shots he'll make because I still think he was getting decent looks even without Harden. But I, I do think he'll – it'll be a sort of a Nick Batum. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak 
performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts, 122 million for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. You want to go through a couple of the other interesting teams uh, as we get up to the trade deadline? So let's start with one that I'm not sure they're interesting, but they're interesting to me, and it touches on the point that we talked about talking about your piece, and that's your old team, the Spurs. You don't have to talk about the Spurs. I can talk about the Spurs if you want. But I look at them. I'm super fascinated by what they do at the fork in the road that they are now reaching. So they've got, well, LaMarcus we'll talk about. They've got DeRozan, Mills, Gay, all these veterans. And I think all those veterans, I'm not – Sure, they're available, available, but the Spurs are definitely listening. And if you offer them something real, I think you could potentially get any of those guys. More interesting to me, though, is what's next for the Spurs? Like, say DeRozan is gone, Aldridge is gone, all the vets are gone. You've got DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker, the fourth, Keldon Johnson, Jakob Pertl, Vassell, the kid they just drafted. I'm including Luka Samanic now. Croatia's own Luka Samanic <laughs> is getting in the, in the, in the young core. Um, and, like... All those players, DeJounte Murray, I forgot, I think, um, all those players are good. And for where they were drafted are mostly really, really good draft picks. I look at it as, okay, so what is that core What is that core getting me going forward? And the answer is, of course, I don't know. One of the things I've learned covering the NBA is that young players, if they put in the work and they have good coaching, some of them, lots of them, are going to outpace the development curve you envision for them when they're 20 and 21 years old. And there is a world in which that core of players grows together into a damn good team. It may be a 50-win team, maybe even something better. There are also more worlds, if you simulated this for a thousand times, I think most of them will be, they grow into a pretty good team without a star, without a, maybe without a guy who makes any all-star teams, maybe without a guy who makes more than one or two, and just becomes like Pacers West. And if that's the case, if you are running the Spurs and that's what you see, now this is the most conservative organization in sports. They haven't made an in-season trade in a thousand years. <laughs> um, they don't make outgoing calls, all the stuff you hear about them. If that's the case, if you think that, that, that that's your future, shouldn't you just see what you can get if you package a lot of these guys in picks? Like in theory... The Spurs make a very intriguing Bradley Beal fit. But just to get the first guy in the door to help get you a second guy, and obviously to even get in that conversation, you'd have to gauge does he have any interest in resigning there. If not, then no, we're not doing any of this. But in theory, the Spurs are an interesting candidate holding all their picks. They have a gazillion in cap space coming up to sniff around packaging stuff for a big name. But this gets at the point, exact point your story is about, which is, can they do that in San Antonio or are all their picks and young players so much more valuable to them? I forgot about Derek White, too, right. um, who's not so young, but he's very good. Like that that you sort of are naturally pointed toward stasis. And by the way, stasis might be good. All of those players are good. Now you're going to have to pay all of them. All of a sudden they're going to be making $100 million combined before you blink. But it, it just from from the perspective of that market, it's it's hard to. It's hard to talk yourself into. Let's be aggressive. Let's make all these kind of trades that the big the big teams are making. Yeah, and I just don't know. Going back to the nature of that story, if a market like San Antonio is a legitimate place to it, it sort of enter that blockbuster trade sweepstakes, because there's no there's no confidence that you're going to be able to extend 
the superstar you're able to bring back with all this talent. And I, I do think the San Antonio Spurs have done a fantastic job of drafting between 20 and 30 over the last five years and turning out a new young core that puts them in a position to build a team in a couple of ways. If I had to say, you know, those are my friends there, they're going to try to do this with consistency and with loyalty and watching these guys develop and take pride in that process uh, and not skip steps. Uh, I don't think they're going to look to move a lot of those young guys. I think the vets is interesting. And you pointed out that they haven't made a lot of in-season trades, which is, is an exaggeration. They haven't made any. Uh, but I do think this year's a little different. I think they're taking calls. And I think if they got something real, as you said, you know, they might part ways with some of these guys because some of those guys might want to part ways too. They want to go to the playoffs or they want to compete and they might get the right offer from the right team. Uh, so I do think they're at a big point. If I had to guess, they're going to try to grow their own food from scratch and prove to the basketball world that you can still do this with the draft and with player development. And yeah, in four years, we look up and they're back at the three seed or the five seed in the West. Um, and I think they would be happy with that. And they, they haven't compromised their values. They're a values-driven organization. So I don't see them in the Bradley Beal marketplace. Uh, I see them more as a, yeah, let's grow this core up together and see where it takes us. Have you found any good LaMarcus Aldridge trades? Because I, I truthfully have not been able to. No, I, I don't think so. I'm not sure what Lamarcus's value is. I mean, there's a couple teams out there who you look at their front court and you're like, man, they would, they would, they they could be better with Lamarcus Aldridge in a rotational role. Um, and you know, whether that's, that's Boston or Toronto or, or or whatever, I'll leave that up to to others. I mean, I haven't seen one yet that 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 is great, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I, I like to remind people, like the the Kawhi trade came out of relative nowhere. Um, you know, J.A. Donde, I believe, says real trades travel in silence. So I, I'm not I'm not one to listen to to the Internet and, and find a legitimate trade. And be like, Oh, that's probably going to happen. Uh, let's talk about another team, the Toronto Raptors. Um, and and we talked about this uh, on the pod uh, before the all star break when the covid stuff just smashed them all at once. And they still have not had Siakam and Anobi or Van Vliet back and they have lost. Um, I believe five in a row and they are down to 11th in the East at 17 and 22. Um, my friend, Michael Grange wrote a piece last week, um, basically warning everyone. Kyle Lowry is extremely unlikely to be traded at the trade deadline. And Grange is awesome. And he's super plugged in in Toronto. I, I, I'm still, I don't think the door has been shut on that. Let me put it that way. I don't, and and he didn't say that it had been shut on that. He he actually hedged and said it could still be open. I I think it's cracked open just because again this team is now five games under five hundred. Now when they get back, will they be much better than that? Absolutely. They still have a positive scoring margin. I still think that door is ajar. I think I I can. I, it might take me more hands than I have to count how many teams have inquired about Norm Powell with them. Uh, who has a player option for next season that he probably should decline and is playing out of his mind. Yes, he is. And and you want to hear that and say, well, isn't that tantamount to tanking if the Raptors sort of bail out of those guys? And I would say no. I, I would say it's tantamount to, and I'm and by the way, I have no idea what the Raptors are going to do. Let me be clear. I, but if they did that, I would say it's tantamount to saying, this season with no fans, it hasn't gone to expectations. We're not where we thought we'd be in the standings. We can sacrifice this season or, or just punt it a little bit. And we still have Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Malachi Flynn, a bunch of other, all of our picks and everything. No, we're not. We're not tanking. Like, that's a pretty good foundation of players. Maybe we'll get a, one more high draft pick this year to augment that. But we'll come back right, right next year and we'll be a, a pretty good team. Not a great team. Just a, a nice team. But that's not tanking. And what it really is, is if you've decided as an organization that, you know, Kyle Lowry wants to, if, if, if you've decided Kyle Lowry wants to finish his career somewhere else, or it's not, doesn't make sense for us to pay Kyle Lowry's next contract. It makes all the sense in the world that you would explore up until March 25th. If everyone's, if everyone involved has given it the right blessing, um, what you could get for Kyle Lowry. So I just don't think the door has been totally closed on that. That's my Toronto Raptors take. 
You know, I'm with you, and I think there Kyle Lowry might be the best player available if, in fact, he is available. You know, at this stage of the season, very rarely does a championship-winning point guard become available on the trade market. And if he is, like, you're going to see a team talk themselves into paying a lot for him. Uh, and maybe there's discussions behind closed doors one way or the other. I want to finish as a rapper. No, I want to go try to win right now. I don't know. Uh, but those are really influential discussions, too. And I think from Kyle all the way through the coaching staff and into Masai Ujiri's office, you know, there's different kinds of conversations happening. Obviously, from the front office perspective, from the long-term uh, growth horizon of the organization, if somebody wants to pay you a lot of money or players, assets, and draft picks for Kyle Lowry right now at this phase of his career, that's a pretty enticing option. Uh, so I think they would consider it there, but also Kyle has become one of these just God, can you picture him in another uniform? And now we've seen him in other uniforms, but he does seem like Mr. Raptor. He does seem like a guy who's going to be around Toronto for years and years after he's done playing. But man, uh, I, I just don't know, Zach. And, I, and the last thing I'd say on Toronto is like, God, this team has had a tough year. I mean, everybody's had a tough year. Oh, absolutely brutal. But it's just brutal. Remember, they're playing in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> they all had to pick up and move their lives and now they're living in, in a hotel, essentially on a year-long road trip. So... God, I, I feel for those guys, and I'm not sure what they're thinking, in part because their year has been so tough. Sort of a junior varsity version of the Raptors in, in that same sense is Orlando, who is at now 13-26. and 26. They're 14th um, in the East. They've lost eight games in a row. A team that uh, made the playoffs the last two years, had playoff ambitions this year. Injuries have absolutely decimated them. I will not even list all the players who are injured. It's too many um, to name. And they have Evan Fournier on an expiring contract, Terrence Ross, Aaron Gordon, whose name has been all over the rumor mill in perpetuity, and ditto for Nick Vucevic. And, you know, you want to say, well, this team could just sort of let the season play out. They're going to get a high draft pick as things pan out, as things stand now. Get that high draft pick. Bring all these dudes back and be a, a good team next year. But Fournier is sort of their, again, junior varsity Lowry in that if he's he is expiring, if you don't want to pay him, it behooves you to explore the trade market for him. Gordon is the more interesting one because, you know, we've all ad nauseum talked about he's a four. He needs to play a four. The Magic try to shoehorn him into playing the three. Jonathan Isaac is coming. Uh, Chumo Kiki is pretty good. Um, they have Aminu still who's probably untradeable or borderline untradeable. Um does he really fit there? And teams, there are lots of teams. Minnesota has been mentioned a lot, and I think that's accurate, that have, have made a lot of calls about Aaron Gordon. I don't know what they're going to do, but they could just, it's, it's that same issue of like, how many guys can we keep and still be bad this year and come back and be good with the high draft pick next year? If I had to get, and, and if I had to guess, this is my guess, I, I would guess, and you made me guess on every guy, I would guess trade Fournier, keep Ross, Keep Vucevic just because I think they're going to demand like a Drew Holiday level haul for Vucevic. If anyone calls to try to get him, he's been so good for them. Just outstanding. Uh, and Gordon, whoo, I don't even know what I would, I guess I would go 51% trade, 49% keep. I don't have a good feel for, for Gordon in, in the market for Gordon. He's, he's, I, you know, I say he's an enigmatic player. Like analytically, I just don't know if I'm, if I'm buying into him. I'm sure different teams have, have different opinions. I've heard the same things about Minnesota being very uh, interested in Aaron Gordon. And, you know, when you watch him in the dunk contest, <laughs> you could talk yourself into Aaron Gordon real fast. But, uh, you know, is this a guy who, who you can build around? I'm not so sure uh, that everybody agrees there. And, and, and one interesting thing when I think about it, both Orlando and Houston right now is that the play-in mania, and I love play-in mania, Zach. By the way, play-in mania I'm getting ready for playing, Manny. The, the I think play the play-in is going to be a huge hit. I mean, it was a huge hit last year, but it was kind of like trial phase, bubble situation. I think this this is going to be the real play-in now, the 7-10-8-9 thing. Um, I, I think it's going to be a huge hit. Me too. And I think there's going to be six single elimination NBA games, and there's going to be big stars in them, and that's going to be awesome. Uh, but one of the other very interesting byproducts, I think, of the play-in era in the NBA, Zach, is it's really shrunk the overall size of the seller's market. There's only a few teams that are really out of it at this point. Uh, and that's because we go all the way to the 10 seed uh, to get into that play-in environment. So there's really five teams on either side that aren't going to be playing for playoff slots. 
Uh, Orlando and Houston are among those teams that are kind of out of it and kind of have a lot of tradable pieces right now. Uh, and in a weird way, I didn't foresee this coming. The trade market is really beneficial to these teams in ways that it hasn't been in years past. Uh, and Orlando, as you as you really well outlined, has a lot of great tradable contracts. I have a feeling somebody's going to talk themselves into Fournier, and I think you said that. I think he's the most likely piece for a team that needs a guard that could score the ball. Uh, he's a really tempting piece. Aaron Gordon as well, I think, is a superstar uh, in some people's eyes. And I think you know Orlando has a lot of opportunities to build their asset base uh, through this trade deadline coming up. Uh, the last one I want to talk about is Minnesota because I, I expect them to be very, very active. But it's it's, it's to be interesting because you mentioned the, the the dearth dearth of sellers. They should be an obvious one because they're nine and thirty and completely out of it and should be oh. orienting everything toward the future. But I just don't know what they have to sell really, um, and so I wonder if they will be active on all fronts, trying to see is there a player we can acquire that would help us now uh, or help us now and next year going forward. And at the same time, making calls like, what can we get for player X? Like, I think if I were a GM that really loved Jared Culver, I would, I would be calling Minnesota to try and see if I could get Jared Culver. I don't know that such a GM exists. Jared Culver has been injured and out of the rotation uh, for the Wolves a lot this year. But I do think uh, the Wolves look like a disaster. Yeah. And in, in a lot of ways, they, they are a disaster. But I do think it's important to note D'Angelo Russell's out. Malik Beasley is currently suspended. Russell, Beasley, and Towns have, have barely played it all together. Like There's a universe in which these guys get healthy and look like a competitive, normal NBA rebuilding team for the last 10 or 15 games of the season. But you know, you look at the optics of uh, uh, LaMelo Ball's out playing Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is surging lately, so maybe that's not so bad. Uh, Culver's really on 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 the fringes you owe this pick to the warriors which is a top three protected pick this year unprotected next year um it it doesn't look great right now uh and i would expect them to be you know maybe they don't end up doing anything but i would expect them to be among the most active teams sort of investigating every kind of deal whatever sort of they can find that benefits them yeah they're a really interesting team i think Frankly, it's very disappointing when you look at their draft history and where they've been able to pull and who they've been able to pull out of these drafts uh, and the fact that they're sitting here at 9 and 30. And as you know, their statistical markers are terrible. Sure, they've had players that miss time. Which team this year hasn't? Uh, you know, almost everybody's missing time uh, to some degree. I think undeniably Minnesota's had a disappointing season. I love Anthony Edwards. I mean, the, the eye-popping stats from three-point range the other night um, – if he's able to shoot, obviously the dunks, everybody's seen the dunks. Is he the piece you build around now? Is Carl Anthony Towns still the piece we're building around? I don't even know what their identity is going forward. Um, but, yeah, they have, they have a team. They, they have an opportunity, too. This season's a loss in Minnesota. This season is over in Minnesota. I think the most prudent thing to do is determine who you want to build around and what kind of team you want to build and use this trade deadline, Zach, to turn a couple of your current players into future assets or other players that you like for next season or the following season. I just don't know. Like, you can call me about Jake Lehman and Josh <laughs> Okoge, and like, and my response is going to be, these guys are not in your rotation, and you're the worst team in the NBA. Or they're, they're sometimes not in your rotation, and you're the worst team. Like, why am I giving you anything for these players if, if your own coaching staff is determined that um, they can't even play for your team, or they can only sometimes play for your team? Uh, and I'm not giving up Jaden McDaniels. I know teams have asked Minnesota about him, and and I'll leave it at that. I would hold on to him. I think he's an interesting an interesting prospect. Well, ten days away, Mr. Goldsberry. We're almost there. Um, everyone should check out your piece. It's on um, it's on ESPN.com. It's been leading the NBA page for most of today, Monday. The coastal elite status of NBA superstars and super teams. Mr. Goldsberry, uh, it's always good to see you. I have your map, your Naismith uh, Memorial Basketball Park map. It's in a frame. No, it's not in a tube. Most of the people I hear, it's still in a tube. I'm glad you got a frame. No, it's framed, and it's now waiting for uh, someone, maybe me, I don't know, to hang it on a wall. Um, (laughs) But uh, thank you for all your work, sir. Best to your family. Hey, thanks. 
Our Difference Maker of the Week is brought to you by our friends at CarMax. Thank you, CarMax. Don't just buy a car. Love your car with the new CarMax Love Your Car Guarantee. This week's Difference Maker is, you know what? I'm going to give it to the NBA and the brains who have helped reinvent All-Star Weekend. The NBA gets made fun of all the times for gimmicky innovations, fixing problems that don't exist, getting too creative with the traditions of the game. Let's give them some credit for really repairing All-Star Weekend. Picking teams has been a home run. How funny was it to see the Jazz snubbed with the last two picks and LeBron saying, no slander against Utah, and then here I'm going to slander Utah. Um, it pits teammates against each other. It was really cool to see Jason Tatum slap the floor and get into a defensive stance against Jalen Brown. Obviously, both of them play for the Celtics. The three-point shootout is better with the full money ball rack and with those long-distance Mountain Dew shots. I mean, that's where guys are shooting from these days. Let's make it happen. I think they should add a half-court shot. The Elam ending without a clock to end the All-Star game, it wasn't that exciting this year, but we get, got a Damian Lillard almost half-court shot to end the game. Home run idea. I love it. They have really fixed All-Star weekend. It's much better now than it was before. That's our Difference Maker of the Week. Again, our thanks to CarMax for more Difference Makers. Check out my weekly 10 Things column on the ESPN Insider page. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One.